Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I just want to take a moment, let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community. So today, Clyde Glass is continuing our new series, Healed by Jesus. And also, again, for this year's Lent project, it's called Moving Hope, and we are partnering with Moviendo Esperanzas, an organization that works on the ground in Costa Rica. Again, Costa Rica is a developing country where over 700,000 people live with a physical disability but have no access to state funding or support. So more than 50% of those with disabilities in Costa Rica, they live in poverty and have little hope of improving their situation. The goal of our project is to partner with Moviendo and offer mobility and access to those who desperately need it. So for more information on how to get involved, please visit, please visit our website for the different ways that you can give. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint. And you can find a link to that viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. Or you can go on Realm and join the group Southview Family Updates. And that will make sure you're always getting the most recent weekly viewpoint in your inbox. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we would love to hear from you. You can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. And additionally, you can always find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Hello, friends, both here and those joining online. Glad we can be joined together as we have the incredible gift of gathering as God's people to worship him, to receive from his word, and, and then in all of this, to be led to receive from Christ in this meal of communion together. So glad we can be joined together today. And as we shared a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jillian and I uh, have just been down visiting our kids and grandkids, more importantly, in Australia, holding our new grandson for the first time. Louis is his name, as Roy mentioned. Uh, after an earlier trip we had planned near the end of January, he had to be canceled. And, and I thought you might want visual evidence of this. So here are Jillian and I uh, down there on the other hemisphere, around the other side of the globe with our grandkids, Callum, Genevieve, and Louie there, and our wonderful daughter-in-law, uh, Natasha, uh, joined together. And it was just, it was so good to be with them, of course, and to go to church with all of them. And, and that was both a joy, but it really was a reminder as well. Because we experienced that bringing little kids to church, getting them in church, we forgot what a challenge it is. And I really do want to say, I thought it that weekend that we were with them, for you parents of young kids, I want to say, way to go. I mean, I know it is not easy. But truly, being part of a the community of the gathered ones of Christ is so formative for our kids and also for us as adults. And again, I know it's not easy getting here, and I truly, I applaud you honestly in this. And just, I've been praying that God may bless you with strength and patience and endurance and joy and at least occasionally sleep. 
as you parent in this. And, and let me just mention also that really in our desire to support you as you disciple your children in Christ, we have another great opportunity to do that this coming Wednesday evening. We have our family Easter experience again. It's this Wednesday beginning at 6.30. And what it is, it's really just kind of 30-minute self-guided experience where you walk your kids through stations or activities centered on the Easter story. It's a bit different than last year, but it really is an excellent means of discipling your kids during this season. And it's free, that's good news, but you need to register in advance for it. You can do that at the Newcomers Center or Information Center at our website or on our Realm app if you want. But just above all, bless you parents. Bless you parents. So let's pray together before we turn to God's Word. And Father, I would pray that by a work of your Holy Spirit, you would give us ears to hear, and you would also give us the courage to respond to what your Holy Spirit will say to us through your word today. And this we ask in the authority of the name of Jesus and all God's people say, amen. Now, in our teaching series for Lent, we've been looking at some of the healing stories, stories of healings by Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8 and 9. And as we've seen in just the last week as well, as Rick and Craig and Spencer have led us in our teaching, physical healing was really only one of the forms of healing that Jesus brought. Wasn't even the primary one. Because there's more than one way to be sick and to need healing. And that's why even as Spencer brought up last weekend, Jesus offers healing for identities, emotional healing, relational healing spiritual healing. And I really, I want us to keep that in mind as we come to our passage and story today. Because as we noted at the start of this series, one of the elements that we need to pay attention to in each of these healing stories is the focus of the story. And by that meaning, what is the true focus of the healing story? Why did the gospel writer include this story? And that's a great question to ask of our healing story today, because although the story we're going to read describes our miraculous physical healing, the physical healing isn't the primary focus of the story. Okay, so let's read and see this. We're going to leave Matthew's gospel just for this week, so turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the gospel of John, to John chapter 5. As we look at a passage in teaching that was so helpful and challenging For me, when Jesus heals at Jerusalem's pool of Bethesda. Okay, now, just before we read verses 1 to 9 here, I want you to notice something in most of the translations that you are reading. I want you to look in your Bible or your Bible app right now to verse 5 in John 5. Can you find verse 4, rather? Verse 4 in John 5. Find verse 4. And for most of you, You'll see in your English translation, there is no verse 4. Where'd verse 4 go? Great question to be asking. As most of your Bibles will note, actually, our English translations, you likely know, they're based on ancient manuscripts of the New Testament that were written originally in Greek, largely. And over the centuries, as archaeologists and Bible scholars found increasingly older 
ancient manuscripts, and usually the older the manuscript, the more reliable, the more unchanged from the original it would be. And scholars found that most of the older manuscripts that were being uncovered in the Gospel of John didn't contain the words that we now call verse 4, which tells us that verse 4 was likely not originally in the Gospel of John, but was rather a, a later edition by some ancient scribe or copyist, and it was put there to explain what was so significant about the pool of Bethesda. That makes sense? Okay. So here's what was, as we now see here, here's what the now removed, verse 4 said, describing those who gathered at the Bethesda pool. Let's put it on the screen. This is what verse 4 used to say. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. Okay, so those words are not found in the oldest biblical manuscripts. But that does tell us of the legend, or really the expectation, of what the sick and diseased at the pool were hoping for when they got there. I mean, whatever caused the stirring and bubbling of the water, whether it was an underground spring or natural gas, rather, there was this legend, really a superstition, that if you were first in the water... When it happened, you'd be healed. Which even before we read the passage, it tells us for one that those people at the pool were desperate. They had no other solutions. They were just grasping for a superstition even. All right, so with that in mind, let's then read our passage in John chapter 5. And as we do, friends, remember, this is a word of God. And we pick it up in verse 1, which says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool. In Aramaic it's called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. Now just pause here. Let's just remember as we're reading this, this story, it is rooted in history, in ancient Jerusalem. So here's a picture of now what the Pool of Bethesda looks like now. This has been partially unearthed over the past number of years. Now in Jesus' day, that pool there, most of that would have been filled with water from the springs below. That gives you the scene surrounded by individuals. This is what we read in verse 3. In these colonnades lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So a not very happy place. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now, as we've said before, when reading a biblical narrative story like this one, 
Billy, one of the ways that we can find the focus of the story is by looking for elements in it that are kind of unexpected, unusual, maybe even odd. I mean, for example, in the very familiar story of the Good Samaritan, we all now recognize that kind of the unexpected part of that parable was that it was not a Jewish priest or rabbi who stopped to help the assaulted man, but rather it was the despised Samaritan. And in that day, that was definitely unexpected. That gives us a clue about that parable and what that story was specifically about. And in our healing story today, there is a similarly odd element to the story that I think points us to the actual focus in the story. And it's what I'd like us then to focus in on today. So what is it? All right. Now, if we reflect on the story, I think we'll notice it. In, in fact, let's do this to help us picture this. I want you to try and picture yourself as the person in the story, right? Who had been lamed or paralyzed for 38 years, unable to walk. Okay, picturing it, you are so desperate that you are hanging on to this local legend that says, if you get in the water first, you'll be healed. Okay, why not? I have no other hope. Now, we don't know for how many years this lame man had been coming to and really waiting at the Bethesda pool. But can you just kind of try to imagine how you'd be feeling? How desperate? Perhaps how hopeless? Just kind of daily experiencing disappointment, rejection. And then one day, can you picture it? This rabbi named Jesus shows up at the pool, and he walks over to you. And what does Jesus say to you? He somewhat shockingly, and to our minds almost offensively, asks you a very strange, unusual question. Do you want to be healed? Which reminds us, for one, that no one in Scripture asks more questions than Jesus. Really, kind of we would think that God in the flesh would be kind of the ultimate Bible answer man, right? Just giving answers, making declarations. Not Jesus. In fact, one of Jesus' main teaching and discipling tools, we should learn from him, the, from him in this, was asking questions. For example, Jesus is the one who asked, can any of you, by worrying, add a single moment to your lifespan? I mean, he asked, why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the beam coming out of your own eye? He asked, why are you afraid? And who is my mother? Who are my brothers? He's the one who asked, why do you doubt? And asked, do you love me? Jesus was always asking questions. Over a hundred times in the Gospels, he was asking questions. And here beside the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem, that was surrounded by the sick and lame, longing to be healed when they saw the waters stir beneath them. Jesus asked what again to us would be a very insensitive question. Do you really want to be healed? Do you really want to get well? What do you mean? Do I want to get well? I mean, what do you think? 
You think I want another 38 years of this? Such an odd question. And it really prompts you to ask, why would Jesus ask that? Because it seems for that as Spencer showed us in our passage last week, Jesus was talking here about more than just physical healing. Because we read in other parts of the Gospels of these great crowds of the sick and disease being brought to Jesus, and in those cases, Jesus healed, it says, them all. That's not what happens here, is it? Jesus seems to have kind of a different agenda here with this individual specifically. There's something different going on, which leads Jesus to ask this unusual question. Do you really want to get well? I mean, you've had this malady for 38 years, but do you really want to be healed? I mean, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually, in your relationships. Jesus is asking, and he still asks, do you really want what I'm offering? Do you really want to be set free from what ensnares you? Do, do you really want your marriage healed? Do you really want to be set free from lust? Do you really want to gain freedom from your anger? Because if you're not going to get angry anymore, how are you going to get people to give you what you want? But that's the question that Jesus asks. And Jesus here walks up to this specific guy to ask it. The question again, it's listed there in verse 6. Jesus said to him, do you want to be healed? Now, it's interesting. That word want there in the original Greek, it's a Greek word, thelo. Want to do that easy one with me? Thelo. And, and what that word means is to long for, to delight in. Is this truly what you are longing for? And it's interesting that this lame man, he never answers Jesus' question. Did you notice? He never says, yes. He never says, of course I do. His response is this in verse 7. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to take me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going another steps down before me. And you kind of wonder, is that his excuse? I mean, his answer kind of seems to be, yeah, but, yes, but, I mean, really, I can't change. I, you don't know how hard my life is, how my boss treats me, what my parents were like. And now Jesus' question starts to feel even more offensive, doesn't it? And Jesus responds to him. It's fascinating. In verse 8, it says this. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Now let's catch this. It seems that Jesus here He's saying more than just some magic words that heal this guy. This really, understand, this is a new life Jesus is describing. You are healed in me, but now I am calling you now to get up, to take up your own bed and start walking. Because I am not just physically healing you, I am calling and empowering you to live differently. To live a changed life. But, Do you really want that? 
Because for one, now you're going to have to carry your own bed. Which prompts us to ask, why would anyone not want to be healed? Why would anyone not want to be set free? That's what we all want, isn't it? Well, let's just think about this guy here. I mean, if he gets healed, I mean, he's going to have to care for himself, carry his own stuff, possibly find a job and work, take on some different, maybe even larger responsibilities. And he might not want that. He might want the physical healing, but not all the other stuff that then comes with it. And I believe that speaks to us. Because again, there's more than one way to be sick. And there's more than one way to need healing. So you consider someone, for example, who has maybe for many years, perhaps most of their life, come to worship, prayed the prayer, been part of the community of faith, and yet their heart and, and life and priorities don't really change. They really haven't grown much in love or joy or patience. They aren't any sweeter. They aren't easier to live with. They aren't a more loving, sacrificial husband or wife. Sure doesn't seem like there's been much healing. Which raises a question that none of us likes asking, but Jesus asked. Do you really want to get well? And, and please hear me clearly in this. In, in no way am I implying that all those who face extended maladies or illnesses don't want to be healed. In no way am I saying that. In fact, Jesus didn't ask this question of anyone else he encountered that needed healing. I mean, he asked some individuals, what do you want me to do? But only of this guy did Jesus ask, do you want to be well? And we've noted already that Jesus' question here, do you want to be healed, is not by any means just for those who are facing physical challenges. Jesus' question here, let's understand this, it is for every single one of us, friends. Because every one of us has an area or areas in our life where we need his healing. But again, do we truly want it? Now, many years ago, a dear friend of mine, he's a family therapist in the States, uh, he explained that the question that Jesus asked this man in verse 6, do you really want to get well? He said it is one of the biggest challenges he has to deal with, with those who come into him for counseling. And he shared a story without using any names or specific details about a married couple who had come in for counseling for months and, and they were stuck. Didn't seem to be making any progress. Headed for a divorce. And they even grew more hostile towards each other over those months. Counseling just seemed to be completely ineffective. And so after going through all of this with them, at their final counseling session, the wife came to the session early by herself. And so, as she and my friend waited in his office, my friend asked her a question. He took a bottle of Tylenol that he had on his desk, and he took one pill out of the bottle. 
he put the pill on the table between them, and then he said, let's pretend that this pill is a magic pill. And if you take this pill, you will magically fall madly in love with your husband. And all these pains, wounds, issues, and frustrations that we've been going over and over about over the past months will fall away and be healed. If that would happen, would you take the pill? You know what she said? No. No? Wouldn't take it. I mean, it was a revelation for both of them. And he said to her, I mean, if you don't want your marriage to be made well, I can't help you. For this wife, you could say, she was willing to kind of sit at the Bethesda pool to go to counseling, which can be enormously helpful at times, but she didn't really want to be made well. She didn't really want to have to get up. And so again, we ask, why wouldn't people want to be made well? What benefit is there in staying sick, unwell? Not just physically, but also, and even more so, really, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. Are there some payoffs to that? Because really, on the surface, it kind of sounds absurd to not want to be made well, healed. To want to remain sick. But there are benefits. As we already noted, for one, you don't have to carry your own bed. You don't have to be responsible for your own life, for your own joy, for the circumstances of your life. You can blame someone else for the situation you're in. I mean, this guy's explanation was that he had no friends to put him in the pool. So what do you expect me to do? And it turns out there are some real significant benefits to remaining unwell. And again, I'm referring mostly to spiritual, relational, emotional unwellness. Because no one expects anything of you. Not even you, perhaps. And this is what psychologists refer to as the law of homeostasis. And by that meaning, for one, people will often hold on to what is familiar rather than choosing what is better. I mean, in their minds, they might subconsciously decide, I know there is a better way to live, but I'm going to hold on to this pattern that I know is sick and hurting because at least it's familiar. And so it feels safer. It feels like there's less risk with it. So even if what you're familiar with is depleting, damaging, wounding, even your own soul, you might hold on to patterns in life and relationship that you know aren't healthy. You might even complain about it. I wish my husband, I wish my wife. You might complain about it. But you won't change anything. You won't do anything. You won't take responsibility. You won't get up and pick up your own bed. And that, friends is a very common attitude. And so we return to Jesus' offensive question. Do you really long to get well? And again, I'm not talking primarily physically. I'm talking spiritually, emotionally, relationally. And instinctively, you might respond, oh, yes, yes, I do. But 
What we really want is not kind of the work of getting up and walking. We just kind of want the waters to magically stir and we get healed. Just kind of poof, it's all better. Without having to do any of the hard work, any of the hard stuff. But let me encourage you, beloved. As much as Jesus was present with this man at that Bethesda pool, Jesus is present with you today. Not with the same physical presence, but now through the presence and the power of his Holy Spirit. So can I give us some work to do through the power of his Holy Spirit, if you're interested? Let me give you four questions to prayerfully reflect on in this. Not original to me. First question, encourage you to reflect on this. In what ways is this guy's story your story? You might want to journal about that question, if it would help you. And I, I can't answer that for you. I need to answer that question for myself. Okay, then a second question. In what ways might you be sitting by the pool? Kind of waiting for some magic wand to kind of fix everything, to fix you. When what God is saying is, there's not going to be a magic wand. You need to get up through my power and learn how to walk. Okay? And then a third question. What might getting up look like for you? What is God saying to you in that? It'll likely look different for each one of us. What might getting up look like for you? Okay, and then the fourth question. Again, do you really want to get well? I mean, perhaps for some of us, the first thing that needs to be healed is our desire. You know, our desire to be made well? Lord, make me willing to be willing in this. Maybe your prayer is just that. I mean, Lord, I'm not willing to change or I'm scared to change, so would you make me willing to change, to be made well, to be healed? And the good news is, you can receive from Jesus today. He wants to give you spiritual strength and encouragement through his Holy Spirit. And also, one of the ways he does that is, oddly to us, through this meal. So I invite each one of you, if you want Jesus, even if you don't fully understand what that means, but if you in this moment, if you want him in your life, I invite you to take the bread and cup. And really, if that's not your heart today, there is no shame in not partaking of this. We just honor your honesty and we're thankful you're here with us. But for those who do, we come now to this bread and cup, and we, with the men and women of faith across the centuries, we break the bread, remembering his body broken for us. We take the cup, remembering his blood poured out. And I would invite you, in the cups that you received as you came in, to take out that very top portion and hold on to the bread. Because in this, through his spirit, he wants to feed you. Because the wonder is the body of Christ was broken for you.
So take and receive from him. And then if you take the cup, as we long for him, and let this be a symbol and a means of him strengthening us, because our hope is that his blood was poured out for you, take and receive from Christ. Will you pray with me? And Father, how we thank you for the gift and wonder of your presence with us, your desire to feed and nourish us again as we worship, as we pray in your word in this meal. And Father, we close this time as we begin our study of your word. Would you give us the courage, Father, to respond to what you were saying to us? And as my brothers and sisters reflect on those questions, even this week, I pray you would give us insight and again an empowering from your spirit to get up, to take up our beds and walk in bringing you honor. This we pray in your son's incredible name. And again, all God's people say, amen. Amen. We stand with me, friends. And I invite you back for next weekend. Again, next weekend, Palm Sunday. Amazingly, we are already going to be moving into Holy Week together. And I also want to remind you of what Roy encouraged you to do. If you'd register for the Realm app, go to the table in the Cardo if that would be a help. Register for Southview Family Updates. And again, we want to guide you along in this. But as you go in this week, whatever it does hold for you, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more beyond all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within you, let through us then there be glory to Christ through us, through Christ, throughout all generations, forever and ever, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's walk in that grace. Amen.